good morning. For those of you that may not have been here uh, in the room when we started, for those of you that haven't had a chance to meet, my name is John and I'm the pastor here. And we are in a series at the beginning of this year called Build Family. We're trying to kick off the year the right way. Because when you evaluate the year before, you know, thinking about it at the end of 2018, when you evaluate the year, you tend to evaluate it based on the quality of your relationships. Not all those resolutions you set at the beginning of the year. If your relationships went well, the year went well. So I thought, well, why not start off 2019 uh, aiming at the target that we actually want to hit by the time all said and done? So if 2019 is going to be the best year of your life, it will be because your relationships were the best they've ever been. And so we're talking about how to be the person we need to be in order to have those sorts of relationships. But I know, you know, in the, as we were going through the music, one of the things we talked about is how hard life can be, the difficult things we can face. And the reality is those difficulties tend to come from where? People. people. Not your wife, but other people. <laughs> Just to be clear. <laughs> from relationships, Right? Why is it, this is, this is such a crazy thing, why is it that the people we love the most also have the greatest potential to hurt us? You ever thought about that? And, and the, I've, I've learned to visualize it a particular way. I believe that we have a, an investment pendulum in our life. Okay, an investment pendulum. So you think about a center point in the middle with a long string and then like a bowling ball at the bottom, Okay. And the more invested we are in the relationship, the more that pendulum swings. So when I meet someone for the first time, I don't know them that well. The pendulum is basically right in the middle. They don't have very much of a capacity to make me happy, nor do they have much of a capacity to make me sad, you know, unless they just told me I won the lottery or something. But then then the pendulum's going to swing, right? We know each other real well then. We're friends. Um, But if I just met someone, that pendulum sits right in the middle. The more I get to know someone, the more it begins to swing. And what that means is that I'm making myself more and more vulnerable to this person. I have to let them into my inner world. And if I want to have a close relationship with them, I start sharing things with them that are a little scary to share with them. I start trusting them with things in my life that are a little scary to trust them with. But what that does, and this is very important in relationships, that sort of vulnerability opens us up to feel a connection with them we don't feel with anyone else because there's trust that's present, because there's honesty that's present. Last week, we talked about honesty. And I'll tell you, I had a bunch of folks connect with me during the week, this morning even, and say, hey, I was holding something back. I was holding something in. I wasn't being honest. And I confessed it to somebody very, very close. And the consistent thing I heard was how scary that was. Because you understand that when you have that level of emotional investment and vulnerability in a relationship, all it takes It's for gravity to take hold. And that pendulum can swing right back over the other way. That same vulnerability that gave us the closeness in the relationship causes great pain in the relationship, and that's a risk that we end up running. And what happens to us oftentimes is that we get into a relationship, we make ourselves available to that person, we get really close with them, they hurt us, the pendulum swings back, and we say, not doing that again, not making that mistake again. And so I'm gonna keep all my relationships right here. I'm not gonna get too invested Because if I don't get too invested, I can't get too hurt. What you do when you make that decision, though, is you rob yourself of the joy that God has created for you in relationships. And yes, the risk in those relationships. It's a scary thing to come clean and be honest and not know what the consequences are going to be. And I want you to imagine for a second 
Now, so this may have happened to some of you this week. Someone you love is on the other side of that equation and they decide that they want to take the risk and they want to be honest with you about something. They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to, they're going to let what's in the dark come out into the light and so they confess that to you and it's a huge leap of faith that they take with you and in your relationship in order to tell you but they know it's necessary and so they say that and I want you to imagine for a second not only is that a, a, a difficult thing to hear but that it's sinful, that they've sinned against you, that they've hurt you that they've attacked you, that their, that their actions are going to have consequences in your life, how do you react to that? What do you do? It's interesting. Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 18. First, he does a teaching. First, he says, hey, if somebody sins against you, I want you, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to go directly to them and, con- and confront them with their fault. And if you can work it out, if they repent, that's fantastic. You've won the relationship back. But if they don't, then I want you to bring another person along with you so that everything can be recorded and attested. And if they still won't repent of their sin, they still won't won't turn around, then I want you to go get the leaders of the church. And then you're all going to deal with it together. And if they still won't repent, well, he says to put them out of the church. But if he does, he said, if you do, if if they do repent, then you won your brother back. You got, you got your trust, you got that relationship back. It's fantastic. So he tells this story and he says, you know, if someone sins against you, you need to work it out. And Peter, <laughs> Peter's so funny because Peter's kind of all over the place. And um, Peter hears Jesus teach this and his, I feel like his mind gets stuck. He's not really listening to this brilliant process that Jesus is laying out for how to restore a relationship. He's still stuck on the fact of even forgiving someone. So Jesus lays out the whole process and Peter says, whoa, 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 Jesus, Exactly how many times do you expect me to forgive someone? I mean, what if this is a repeat offender? What if this is a person that keeps doing the same thing over and over and over and over again? Keeps making the same mistake. I mean, what if they're a lost cause? Peter says, how many times do you expect me to do it? Seven times? He thinks he's being generous. (laughs) Seven times? Is that good? Is Is that enough? And Jesus says, no, no, no. I tell you, 70 times seven. And of course, Jesus is hyperbole. He's saying, he's saying, no, just every time. You forgive every time. And then he tells a story. We call them parables. He tells a story and he says, imagine that there was a king. And the king had all these outstanding debts, all these people that owed him money. And there was one particular man who owed him 10,000 talents. I know we don't have, we have dollars today, not talents, but a talent was a weight of gold. It was a man's body weight in gold, in fact. That's a heavy gold nugget, right? 150 pounds. <laughs> Plus a few. I don't know exactly how much it was, but it was, it was, it was a man's weight in gold, and this guy owed 10,000 of them. I don't know how much that is exactly. It's millions of dollars. So I don't know how this guy got in that sort of debt, but gambling debt maybe or something, but he got in debt to the king to to the tune of 10,000 talents. And the king decides he's going to call all of his debts. And the king can do that because he's the king. And so he calls this man's debt and the man comes in front of him. He says, says, king, there's nothing. There's no way. I don't have that kind of money. I've never had that kind of money. There's no way I can pay you back. And the king says, that's fine. Then we'll just sell you and take the profit and write off your debt. You and your family. The man said, no, no, king, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't sell off me and my family. You can't do that. I promise, I promise. I'll pay you back every single penny. It'll take me some time, but I promise I'll make it right to you. I'll pay you back. And the king looked at him and he said, 
Okay. Your debt is forgiven. He forgives his debt. I don't even have to pay it back. He forgives it. Just like that. Because the man begged because he pleaded. So the king had grace on him. And then that servant leaves the king's presence and he goes into town. And when he's in town, he finds a man who owes him 100 denarii. Now, denarii was about a day's worth of wages. It's about 100 days' pay. I don't know what that is, 15 grand maybe or something like that. I don't know, 10, 15 grand, I don't know what it is. He finds a man that owes him that amount of money. And he begins to wring his neck and say, pay me what you owe me. You owe me this money, pay up now. And the guy says, I can't pay up. I can't pay you, please forgive me. And the man says, no, and he has him thrown into prison. And the king finds out that the servant who was just forgiven his millions of dollars in debt just threw a man in prison for thousands of dollars in debt. And the king calls that servant back and he says, you're going to get what you deserve and throws him into prison. And then, so Jesus tells that story and Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Peter said, how many times do I have to forgive someone? And Jesus said, every time. And if you don't forgive your brother his trespasses, God will not forgive you yours. And he doesn't say, just say it. He says, you need to forgive from your heart. I have kids. They are the kings and queens of forgiving from their mouths. Right? They get in an argument, they get in a fight, somebody steals somebody something, and you finally call it on them and you say, apologize to your sister. I'm sorry. That's an apology from your mouth. It might be an apology from your bottom because you're worried about what might happen. Jesus said, from your heart, mean it to forgive someone. And Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother his trespasses, God will not forgive you yours. And you're saying, so, so what that means, this is pretty simple math. I can put two and two together. If I want God to forgive me, I gotta forgive everyone who hurts me. Yes. You say, that's not reasonable. I know. God's wisdom is beyond our our wisdom. He's higher and he is greater. He knows more and he loves more than we do. Yes. You say, that's a bold statement. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. And in case you're worried about whether it's clear or not, he says it multiple other times in the scripture too. This is not the only place. And I don't know about you, but I have, I've had a lot of problems with a lot of people. <laughs> I have people that I, that I still, as much as I don't want to admit that I do, I still harbor resentment towards them. And I've said with my mouth that I forgive them. I've said to other people that I forgive them that it doesn't mean anything to me anymore, but it does. And I can't say that I have still forgiven them. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 11. 
whenever you stand praying. So you're going to God and you're asking him for something. You're bringing your petitions. You're, you're worshiping him. You're honoring him. You're telling him about how great he is and how thankful you are for him and what he's done for you and how he saved you and all this. He said, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. We must forgive other people if God is going to forgive us. And that, you, that may be creating a little bit of tension in your, your mind right now. <laughs> because you take the reverse of that and you say, wait a second, if you, if you look at it a certain way, you would say, wait a second, is Jesus saying that if I don't forgive other people that I won't be saved? Is he saying that if I don't forgive my brother his trespasses, then I'm not going to be in heaven? Is he saying that if I don't forgive every single person who's ever hurt me, that he's going to send me to hell? No, that's not what he's saying. You see, you're saved. You're not saved by anything you do. So forgiving or not forgiving someone can't save you. You're not saved by anything you do. You're saved by your faith in God, your faith in Jesus Christ to pay for your sins on the cross, rising again on the third day. That's how you're saved. Belief, faith is how you're saved. Not by any work. So forgiveness or any of that can't save you. This is not forgiveness in the kind that we think of when we think of salvation. This is the kind of forgiveness that restores a relationship. See, Jess and I, we've been married for a little over 15 years. We're coming up on 16 in not too long. We've been married for 16 years. We've not always had a great relationship. It's been great. Nearly perfect. <laughs> like what? I don't know, 94% perfect? Is that fair? She, she, she said 100, right? No. Uh, <laughs> we've had our rough spot. The thing about Jess and I is that we're married. We will always be married, okay? We are never going to not be married. But in order for us to have a close relationship with each other, it requires constant forgiveness. I mean, grace on grace on grace on grace in the big things and in the small things. And if I'm not honest with her about when I'm frustrated with her, she's not honest with me about when she's frustrated with me, when I've done something against her, she's done something against me, I'm struggling with something, she's struggling with something. If we're not honest, if we don't confess that, if we don't talk about it and forgive each other over and over and over and over again, then a rift is generated in our relationship, okay? Uh, uh, A barrier exists between us. It's the same way with God. So if we have sin in our life that we have not confessed to God, he's for, he saved us. We're saved, okay? We're children of God if we put our faith in Christ. But if we don't confess our sin to him and, and acknowledge that and ask him for forgiveness of that, then there was a barrier that exists between us and God. And what Jesus is saying is, if you refuse to forgive someone on earth, that is sin. And it not only creates a barrier between you and them, it creates a barrier between you and God. So if God has saved you, God has forgiven you, and you want to carry that down to your relationships, then you must forgive every single person who wrongs you. That's a tall task, I understand. But that's what Jesus says. Families are built on trust, and trust requires grace. Requires grace. And as long as we harbor resentment toward other people, our relationship with God will suffer. If we want to be close to Him, we must forgive other people. And so that's why we're making commitments in this series of who I'm going to be. Last week, our commitment was, I will be honest. And many of you took that very seriously, and it's going to make a difference this year. Today, the commitment that we're going to make is that I will be gracious. I will be gracious. 
I know how hard it is. But the only thing that's keeping us from forgiving is pride. It's the only thing. The only thing that keeps us from forgiving is pride. Pride is the enemy of grace. Paul takes what? Paul is the Apostle Paul who planted many, many churches and wrote much of the New Testament. Um, He took what Jesus said and he applied it for the church in a city called Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, I want to take a minute to to read through this verse and, and really think about the words that are present in this verse. Ephesians 4, 32. Paul says to this church, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So he's saying because you've been forgiven, you forgive other people. Same thing Jesus said. But he gives us these, these really interesting words. He says, I want you to be kind to each other. And I understand, of course, that the Bible was not written in English. It was written in several languages that are not English. And so we have to translate. And so to us, the word that we've chosen is the word kind. It's a good translation. But they used a different word. Paul used a different word that has its own connotation that's a little different than kind. And so when he says kind, it actually carries with it the idea of usefulness, of productivity, that something is good or fit for use. And so when he says be kind to each other, he's also saying be fit for use with each other. That, that we should be thinking about the productivity that's coming out of our life and the way that we conduct ourselves. So we should be kind, thinking about others' best interest. All right, so be kind. He says be tenderhearted. And this, is being, this means being sympathetic or compassionate. Or one, one of the interesting synonyms I saw in the dictionary was pitiful, being full of pity. Here's what this means when he says tenderhearted. He says, when somebody sins against you, you need to be able to put yourself in their shoes. The word we use is empathy. To be able to say, where situation's different, where things change, I could just as easily have done what you did to me. And now we may look at some people and say, I would never do that. Don't, I, would, I would warn you, don't ever say that. Don't ever, don't ever think that there's a limit to the depravity of the human nature. And, and just as they have made that decision, you can make that same decision. So the ability to look at someone and not see their action, but to see them as a person, to be compassionate and tenderhearted. Instead of asking, what did they do? Start asking, why did they do it? Instead, instead, of, instead of breaking down what they said, Try to understand why they might have said it. What might be going on in the background? What emotions they may be feeling that have caused them to act this way? He says, be tender-hearted, kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. And forgiving means what forgiving means. I know we, we, we think about the word forgiving and you know, we ask all kinds of questions. Does that mean I have to tell them I forgive them? Does it mean I'm forgiving in their heart? Is it releasing them from judgment? Is it what... Listen, I, there's a million different definitions of forgiving. I'll just let you run with whichever one makes the most sense. But what I think is interesting is that the word that Paul chooses here, when I was looking at the synonyms of it, forgiving obviously is a synonym, um, but the one that really grabbed me was to pardon someone. To pardon them. And the reason that grabbed me when he said, be kind, to be tenderhearted and compassionate, and to pardon them, just as in Christ God pardoned you, 
it suddenly made something click for me because when we think about forgiving, what we often think is that we're letting someone off the hook. We think, we think they've done this action, there should be a consequence for it, I need to impose that consequence or somebody needs to impose that consequence and, and I can't just let them off the hook. I'm not going to look at this person and say what you did is okay because it's not okay. That's not what a pardon is, is it? A pardon is not an innocent verdict. A pardon is a second chance for a guilty person. It's a second chance for a guilty person. When someone sins against you, you have a choice. You have a choice on whether you look back at that person as your enemy or as your ministry. You can either look at them as your enemy, or you can look at them as your ministry. Either they've hurt me, and now I'm against them, I'm their foe, or I am still their friend, and they've made a mistake. And my job is not to impose a consequence. My job is not to hurt them back. My, not, my job is not to hold them in resentment. My job is to help them to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving them as Christ forgave me. Being gracious does not mean you have to be a doormat. It means you become an advocate. It means you shift from thinking how badly they've hurt you and how much you want to hurt them back to saying, I so badly want to help them. The reason you're so hurt by what they did is because you love them so much. So don't give up the love because of the hurt. Let the love overcome the hurt and say, I love you so much. We've been through so much. I care for you so much, and I'm not going to let this thing destroy that. And so I'm going to help you. I'm not going to overlook it, and I'm not going to fight back against it, but I'm going to help you. Evasion is not grace. Confrontation is not grace. Restoration is grace to seek to restore them and the relationship to what it once was. That takes a lot of work. Don't hear me wrong. It's not like it happens in a second. And not everybody on the other side wants to be a part of it. But for your part, for what you will do, say, I will be gracious. That's a process of change, and it happens over time. Because trust is broken, relationships need to change, okay? When someone hurts us, it's not that we need to open ourselves up to being hurt again by them in the same way. That's not it. It's that we need to help them to grow and to change. Paul said this to the churches in the, the area of Galilee or Galatia, uh, Galatians chapter 6. He said, Brethren, if any man, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Now, I just want to draw this out. Galatians um, 6.1, obviously Galatians 6 comes after Galatians 5. Some of you may be familiar with the fact that Galatians 5 is a famous passage on the fruit of the Spirit. And where Paul talks about how when you put your faith in Christ, you receive the Spirit. God sent His Spirit to be with you, to lead you and guide you and show you how to live in the Spirit instead of living in the flesh. Show you how to live God's way. And he said, when you're living in the, the Spirit... The fruit of that, the outpouring, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. 
He said, when you're living in the Spirit, those, things, those are the things that are going to come out. And now in uh, chapter 6, he says, if you have someone who's overtaken by a trespass, someone who's in sin or someone who's sinned against you, you who are spiritual, full of the Spirit, full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. People are your ministry. So when someone hurts us, when someone attacks us, when somebody does some wrong to us, it's our greatest opportunity for ministry to show what the kind of love and grace God has given us can produce in our life. Jesus told an incredible story about a boy who's the younger of two sons. And that boy thought that he could do life better than his family had told him how to do life. He thought he'd be better off on his own. And so he went to his father. And he said, Dad, I want my inheritance and I want it now. Now normally you'd have to wait till someone died to get their inheritance. Unless you're me. I, I only asked for two things in my inheritance from my parents. One was a lamp and one was a picture. I've already gotten the lamp. So, but that's another thing. So he looks at his dad and he says, give me my inheritance. And you have to understand that that's like, it's basically in that culture like him looking back at his father and saying, dad, as far as I'm concerned, you're already dead. So give me what I got coming so I can get a head start on things and I'm going to go off and make it on my own. And the father complies. He gives the son the inheritance. And the boy goes off, and as you can imagine, a young man with a lot of money, and <laughs> he blows it all. Gets so bad that he ends up having to, I mean, he was living it up. He was having a great time, but money comes in, money goes out, and if there's no money coming in and it's all going out, eventually it's gone. And that's what happened to him. And he finds himself working on a farm, feeding pigs, taking care of pigs, which was a a despicable thing for a Jewish person to do. Pigs are unclean. And he found himself, he'd gotten so hungry that he started to eat the food of the pigs, started eating pig slop. And it was in that moment, you ever heard people tell stories of hitting rock bottom? This is rock bottom for this kid. As he's eating this food and realizing, what am I doing here? My, my dad has servants who eat better than this. So I know what I'll do. I'll run back to my father. I'll go back to him and, and I'll ask him for a job. And certainly he'll give me a job. And so he starts to go home. And I can't even imagine the, the, the uh, boldness it took for him to make that first step and start that way home. But it says that his father saw him when he was a long way off. And he didn't stand there strategizing what he was going to do when his son came back. He didn't sit there running through his entire, running through the film in his head. He didn't restart it. He didn't go back. He didn't think about all that his son had done to him and how he disrespected him and what he'd lost and how he'd wasted half of his stuff. And he didn't, that wasn't where his focus was. What the scripture says is when he saw his son a long way off, he ran to him. He took off running. Because despite what his son had done, despite the decisions he had made, despite the disrespect, despite the sin, despite the arrogance, he was still his son. 
And so he takes off to his son and he brings him back and he takes his signet ring. It's a family ring and he puts it on his finger signifying, you're my son again. His son said, let me be a servant. He said, no, you're my son. You're still my son. He puts his signet, signet ring on his finger. And he tells the servant, says, go kill the fatted calf. We're going to party because my son once was lost and now is found. He's back home. Because he was able to overlook, overlook what his son had done. And I don't know about you, but I just feel like if we go into this year, into 2019, and we said, I want to take the attitude of that father. I want to take the attitude of my father and say that no matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, no matter how much you've hurt me, put that nasty post about me on Facebook. How dare you? Said that thing to that person. Took that money without telling me. Lied about what you, where you were and what you were doing. But regardless of any of that stuff, I love you. And so I forgive you. And if you're, op- if you're open to it, let's make a change. That is grace. You know, your heavenly Father looks at you. And regardless of what you've done, the, the vile thoughts that you've had, the decisions that you've made, how bad you may think you are, how undeserving you may be of his love, that is exactly why he sent his son for you. And Christ endured suffering for your sin on the cross so that you wouldn't have to. He made you right before God. He made you right before God so that you could spend eternity with God regardless of how good or bad you may be on earth. He's forgiven you. He's already done the work. And he was put into a tomb and on the third day he rose again. That proves that he can do what he says he can do. And all it takes for you to be saved, all it takes for you to be forgiven in the eyes of God, to be right with God, to spend eternity with God, is to put your faith in Christ and say, I believe. That's it. I believe. And how incredible is it that God in his love would make that available to us? I mean, he didn't have to do it at all, first of all. And second of all, if he did make it available, he could have made us work for it. <laughs> it said, yeah, you got to hit this level. you got to get to this point. you got to be this good. you got to be this not bad in order to get in. But he didn't. He said, faith, just believe. If you believe, that's enough. And then God wants to have this amazing and vibrant relationship with us where he helps us understand how to have amazing and vibrant relationships with other people. And that requires ongoing grace and ongoing forgiveness and fellowship with him and with other people. Don't let sin get in the way of your relationships. Say, this year I'm going to be gracious. Let's go to God. Let's pray and ask him to help us with this because we all know how difficult it is. God, we come to you and thank you for your love. Your unbelievable grace that you would forgive us is, it just seems impossible. It, It doesn't stand to logic, but thank you so much, God, that the way that you love doesn't stand to logic. And that the way you ask us to love, as difficult as it is, doesn't either. 
And so we may look at people and see what they've done and be mad about it and be frustrated and hurt. And it's okay to feel those feelings. But at some point, we have to make the decision, God, to forgive because you've forgiven us. That's a very difficult thing. And so I pray, God, as people in this room are wrestling with that, because I'm, I'm talking about it in general, and everybody in the room is dealing with it personally and specifically. I would imagine a lot of us have someone's face that we're picturing. And God, I pray that you would help us to change the way we see that face. That we would shift from looking at them as an enemy to looking at them as a ministry. To realize that the reason they hurt us so bad is because we care for them so much. And to understand that you want to change that relationship. That doesn't mean we're going to be the same level of closeness we were before. Doesn't mean we have to open ourselves up to be hurt by them again. Doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences for our actions. We know that. But it's a matter of the position of our heart and the way that we see them. And I ask you, God, to do that work in us because I think it's impossible for us to do it on our own. And so I pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would help us to change, to live at a higher level, to live in the spirit instead of living in the flesh, which wants revenge, but to live in the spirit, which is committed to grace. Because you have shown us grace. And I pray if there's anyone who's never put their faith in you, they would do that now. They've never said, I believe in you, Jesus. They would do that now. And as they believe in Christ's death and resurrection, that you fill them with your spirit so that you can help them to live how you've designed for them to live. And we know, we know this in our head. We know that if we do that, this will be the best year of our life. But we need your help to actually do it when the rubber meets the road. But because of your grace... We will do it. We will be gracious. It's in your name we pray. Amen.